Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries... If you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. folks this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin allison and every thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from the earlier years of the podcast this week for the best of black lives number seven 
We've invited someone to guest host the episode, someone who goes back all the way to the beginning of our history, Don Fraser. Dawn has not only shared stories with us on the show over the years, but she's taught for us over at the Story Studio. So without further ado, I will pass things over to Dawn. We don't cast, last, last, now everybody go to our breakfast. Shayo. Shayo. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to Risk. It is Black History Month, and in case you're listening to this before Black History Month and you missed the podcast, or after Black History Month, it's all good, because you know what? It's all relative, post, pre, and current. Black history, live it up, do it, celebrate it. It's all about all of us, but mostly Mostly us, us, us black people. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Don Fraser. This is Burner Boy playing right behind me. One of my favorite songs. Just a little warm up to today's episode. And I have loved, loved being a part of the Risk family for more than 10 years. And when I tell people a little bit about my story, a lot of people want to know where my family is from. Because often when I tell stories, I sometimes bust out a little bit of a Trinidadian accent like this, right? And people want to know, like, what, what the hell's going on? And, and to be totally, totally frank with you, I, I didn't realize that I was ethnic black until one of my regular black friends pointed it out. She said, Dawn, uh, you know, the stuff that you eat, this roti stuff, these beans and curries and things like this, the regular black people in the States, they, they don't eat this. And that was my first time realizing that there are many shades and many flavors of black people all around the world, all around the United States. And I just so happen to be one of them. So today on the show, you are going to be hearing all kinds of variety and flavor of blackness. That's right, right here on Risk. A little later, we're going to hear My Mama by Jamie Brunson, which was told way back in 2012 when I first started telling stories on stage. And that's going to be a bit of a heavy one. So before that, we're going to hear Child's Play by Dr. Ray Christian, when Risk was at the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival in 2015. But to start things off, we have a much lighter story from Sean Kennedy. Sean's a storyteller based out of South Carolina, can be found on Twitter, AKA X, at Sean Kennedy. She told the story live when Risk was at the 2013 Charleston Comedy Festival in South Carolina. Here's Sean Kennedy with a story we call Legends of the Fall. Hi guys. Anybody want to guess who has the vagina story? (laughs) Shocking. So, uh, I had my first pap smear (laughs) when I was 17 because I was going off to college and I wanted to be on birth control because I heard people had sex in college. And since I had not had any high school, I thought college was definitely gonna happen for me, right? Full disclosure, I didn't actually have sex until I was 23. 
Yeah, see, yeah, that, 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 that little, uh, that's what you get, right? <laughs> 17, 18, good for you. Saving yourself, yeah. 19, 20, you know, you're a little picky, probably focusing on school, that's okay. 20, 21, maybe she had like a bad sexual experience when she was a child, you know? Like whispering stuff. 23? Like, my friends just be like, oh yeah, hey, this is Sean. She doesn't have sex. <laughs> kind of, sort of standing right here. I'm just saying. So I insisted on a female gynecologist because they know what's going on down there, you know, and that's cool. And until I reached the uh, world's most enthusiastic female gynecologist. I call her Regina Sunshine. Like, she was just <laughs> absolutely amazing. She's like, okay, I'm going to let you know everything that's going on down here. So, you'll be a little tense. I'm just going to need you to calm down. Nothing to be afraid of. I've done this a million times. Okay. Lubricant's going to be a little cold. Okay. All right. So, we do the lubricant. Told you. <laughs> So she's gonna step by step, okay, well everything looks good down here, good. good. Not a lot of hair down there, good. Good, okay, everything's nice and pink and okay and goose Mr. Speculum. <gasps> Look at that cervix! Well that is the cutest cervix I have ever seen. It's like a pink little donut. It's do you want to see it? No. Not even a little bit. I want to get off this fucking table, you know? So she's like, I'll go get a mirror. So she's gone for like two minutes, which is like nine days when you're like, like you can't fucking move, you know? And she comes back to this mirror and she's like, see? Isn't that a cute little cervix? And I'm looking at the cervix and it's pink and it looks like a donut and I'm like, that's cute. And I'm looking at everything else and I'm like, that is a fucking disaster. <laughs> okay, like what is all, ew, how, oh no. Anyway, so I said, okay, I was talking to my friend Stacy and I was like, ugh, I got my appointment, you know, whatever, it's coming up. I insisted on a male doctor who was just like in, out, you know, really formal. And my friend Stacy's like, why do you hate going? There's nothing wrong with you. You know, like, you didn't have cauliflower growing down there and shit. You're just going in for your, like, you know, your, your yearly appointment because you have to go. And I was like, huh, I didn't think about that. And she's like, two weeks ago, we had a lady who came in with the worst case of herpes we have ever seen. You know, and she sits on the table, opens her legs, like, I thought it was a reaction to my fabric softener. <laughs> Are you using uranium for your fabric softener? So I go in and I see my male doctor and you know, his nurse comes in, she's like this middle-aged black woman, you know, really thick Charleston accent, she's kind of bigger, she's really nice. Doctor comes in, he's all business. I'm like, sweet, you know. 
And the first thing he said to me was, um, you know, we're doing the exam, and he goes, has your right breast always been that much larger than your left? Well, I don't know, like, I hope this shit didn't happen in the elevator, like, I'm not sure, you know? Like, I didn't measure them as they were growing, you know? But thanks, now I think I have a gigantic fucking tumor, but, you know, good, good for you, you know? So we do the exam, he's all business, and we're done. Sweet, no problems. And he says, stand up. And I was like, well, that seems a little weird, but, you know. I didn't go to medical school. I was gonna fall out, right? So I go to stand up. Turns out what he said was slide up. Like slide back up on the table. Yeah. So, you know that thing that you step up on when you get up on the table? That wasn't there because that's where he was. <laughs> so I stand up, or I go to stand up, and I'm falling. And I have that feeling like I'm fucking falling, you know? And I'm like, ah! By the way, if you're ever falling, I don't know why they do this in movies, this does nothing to help you, okay? It just makes you look stupid while you're falling, okay? And so he looks up and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? He didn't say that, but that's what he looked like he said. And I'm like still falling, so I am screaming. I'm like, ah! And so I fall on him because he's the closest, you know, and I got, I know, this is hot. I cried for two days, anyway. So like I'm naked from here down. I got on that funny looking jacket that only comes to right here, you know? And I'm falling and I hit him in the head and this boob, like the big one, was like, like hit him in the mouth and he's like, you know? So I still don't feel the floor, okay? Like I am still on him. And he's like trying to push me, I guess. And I'm like, ow, cause it hurt. So I was like, wait, 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 there's a nurse in here. You know, so I look over at the nurse to like help me. This bitch is cracking the fuck up. Like she's like, oh my God. So a good Samaritan nurse hears the commotion. And I actually just thought about this on the way here. Before she came in, she knocked on the door. And I was like, if I heard that shit, I would walk in, right? I wouldn't go, come in. What's all this screaming about, you know? I was like, really? So she comes in and all she sees is me with my boob in the doctor's mouth, right? This bitch like bent over in the corner like I had neutralized her, you know, so I could have my way with the doctor, right? <laughs> this bitch is like, like, I'm a generously portioned woman. I get that, okay? This bitch grabbed me and slammed me back on the table like I was fucking olive oil, okay? So now I'm screaming like, get off me! And she's screaming like, what's going on? And the doctor's like, everybody calm down! Everybody calm down! And this bitch is still cracking the fuck up.
some of the Nuvering, and um, yeah, that doesn't work. But I saw the nurse on my way out, and I was like, uh, hey, just, uh, why didn't you try to help me? When I was following, remember that whole thing? Yeah, when you trying to help me? And she goes, Oh, girl, I have a lot of so hard I can't move! <laughs> what? work here? Because it sounds like you should be taking my order. I'm just, you know, so. That's my story, guys. Have a good rest of your lives. Get up, stand up. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. It was the summer of uh, 1970, during break from uh, elementary school. And we were surrounded with hot, tarry, sticky streets that were badly in need of repair. And we were surrounded by dilapidated houses, abandoned homes, single-family dwellings that now had more than four families each living inside, crisscrossed with alleys and spaces between houses that made it easy for you to walk through. One of the streets was called an avenue and the cars sped by all day long. On one corner there was a gas station that fixed cars. On another corner there was a pool hall that was active 24 hours a day. And across that avenue was this large wide building that people call the club. And it was within this orbit, our entire world existed, where we played unsupervised and unlooked after by Miss James, whom our working poor parents paid a few dollars each day to look after us. I heard Ms. James say before many times, mostly behind our parents' back, these damn kids are not worth me chasing for the few pennies that I'm making. So with this attitude, we remained unsupervised 
to run amok in the neighborhood and to play with whatever the environment offered to us. As a group, we were the two Daniel brothers, Tim and Mo. Tim was uh, 13 years old in the fourth grade. His brother, Mo, his little brother, was 11 years old in the fifth grade. <laughs> then there was Fred, who was 11 years old, but he had no front teeth. Then there was me, 11 years old, and ironically, my mother cleaned houses and she babysat white kids for a living. So, as a group, we went about unsupervised and we played with whatever we could find. In particular, we played in the alleys. The alley by the gas station gave us the most stuff to play with. Everything that they would dispose of, oil cans, tires, batteries, we played with. One of our favorite games was to stack up dead old car batteries, and they were heavy. And one time, Fred, he started stacking up these car batteries, and he got them really high, and it started to tip, and some fluid splashed out, and it got on his face and on his arms. And he screamed. But nothing happened right away. And then his skin started turning white, and it peeled off. He started crying, and he ran off. The informal rule of our play was, Anytime you started to cry, the game was over. One of the other things we liked to play with was the nuts and bolts that we found in the alley. We would throw them at each other, we'd throw them up in the air, throw them up against the side of buildings. But more than nuts and bolts, we liked to play with spark plugs. The thing about a spark plug is just like a plug of metal surrounded by ceramic. And the thing about it is the weight, it's heavy for its size. And one of the kids said to me, Ray, you ever heard the sound of a spark plug when it hit the ground? I said, nah. He said, take it and throw it on the ground. So I picked up the spark plug and I threw it down on the ground and it started to bounce and it made this funny, strange, reverberating, uh, echoey kind of sound. It was like, boing. So I surmised in my 11-year-old mind that whatever this thing came in contact with, it would bounce. So I picked up a spark plug, and I decided to test out this theory by throwing it at Tim's head as hard as I could. <laughs> so I threw the spark plug at him, but it didn't bounce when it made contact with his head, and it didn't vibrate either. In fact, when it made contact with the side of his head, it just made a thud sound, and it fell to the ground. Then Tim fell to the ground. <laughs> then he went to sleep. Then he woke up. Then he forgot what happened. And so since he didn't cry, we just continued to play. <laughs> we also liked to play with the old tires that we would find in the alley. We would roll them around the corners. We would sit on them and make car noises. Vroom, vroom. And sometimes we would take these tires and we would roll them into the avenue by accident, sometimes on purpose. Well, one time we were rolling the tires and we rolled them into an avenue and two cars almost collided trying to avoid the tires. They squealed on brakes. One car actually hit the curb and ran up on the sidewalk and knocked over a sign. And the guy got out of the car and he chased us. 
And he actually caught Mo, and he pulled off his belt and he beat his ass. Shortly after that, uh, his brother Tim, he ran after an imaginary tire into the avenue. But he got hit by a real car. Broke his leg in three places, the bones were sticking out of the skin and bleeding. But we continued to play anyway. <laughs> One of the things we liked to play with a lot, of course, were balloons, but we, we never had a lot of balloons. Every time we would get some, we would end up popping them the same day. But one day I was walking through the alley and I saw this balloon sitting there. It's a white balloon. And I noticed that the, uh, the part of the balloon that you blow up, it was a lot larger and rounder than the, than the balloons that I normally would play with. But I could tell that somebody had used it before because it had spit in it. My spidey senses are telling me that somebody is wanting to say, Ray, explain to us what it tasted like. <laughs> but it's not relevant to the story. <laughs> well, I started looking for them after that, and I started finding them. In fact, I had a little sandwich bag where I was actually starting to collect them. <laughs> what? So uh, it was this guy in the neighborhood I was walking with. He didn't normally play with us a lot. And we were walking together, and I saw one on the ground, and I bent down to pick it up. And he said, stop, don't touch that, it's nasty. Don't you know what that is? I said, of course I know what it is. All you have to do is clean it off, and it's good. He said, oh, well, okay then. <laughs> But it was something about my mother's reaction when she saw me washing one out in the sink. <laughs> and she almost killed herself trying to take it away from me. She made me uh, gargle with vinegar and she, she threw away my stash. <laughs> that and something I heard in health class about uh, semen made me give up the balloons. <laughs> Reluctantly. But the thing that would change our whole playing environment was when the club was actually closed. And shortly thereafter, it was transformed into a public health clinic. And outside that health clinic was this big old dumpster that they would fill with medical waste. No, this was fun. You could go inside and pull out these long gauzes and bandages that had red and brown and scabby, sticky, slimy things on them. No, 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 no. You could wrap yourself up and look like a mummy. But the things that we were really interested in were the needles because we were familiar with darts uh, we'd seen them on TV, we'd seen them in the store. Um, the needles were easy to get at if they were on the top. But every once in a while, you had to stick your arm in deep to get at them. Sometimes you had to jump inside to get at them. 
Now, you get stick in a few places, but it was no more than uh, running into a, a briar patch or messing with a blackberry bush or something like that. It wasn't really painful. The, the more dangerous thing you had to worry about is if somebody had shut the door on that thing on top of an old alley cat. And you get caught with a cat in there and he's holding on to a bloody uh, sponge or something, he'll fight you for it. <laughs> So we gained a lot of experience playing with needles. Uh, we called them dart needles. Um, some of the smaller ones, if you threw them, they wouldn't fly very well. The needles would bend. They would break off. So we knew that you had to get the bigger ones, the ones that would have needles that were probably at least two inches long. We knew the ones that had needles that had hoses on them, they weren't worth anything. And we soon discovered that if you took those needles and you filled them with water or sand or rocks, they were heavy and they would fly much better. And one of the games we used to play was stick the board. And basically we would take one of these needle darts and we would launch them up into the air and somebody would take a board and they would hold it out and the dart would fall down and stick on it. Sometimes we'd lob them at each other and somebody would stick their board up and stick it. Sometimes we learned to do a little spin and stick the board out and catch it. And every once in a while, there was a couple of accidents, you know. But, but as long as you didn't cry, we could keep on playing. So one day, somebody launched one high into the air, and Fred did his little dance. He spun around. He took his board. He threw it up. The dart came down, and it stuck right in the corner of his eye. So Fred hit the ground and he started trembling. And he screamed out, don't pull it out. And somebody yelled, pull it out. And Tim pulled it out. So uh, Fred, he stopped shaking in and he was just staring into space. Then a little small pink tear came out of the corner of his eye. So technically that's crying. So we stopped playing that day. But for some reason he didn't want to play anymore. Just reflecting on these childhood playing experiences, uh, now that I know something about uh, germ theory, uh, <laughs> disease transmission, HIV, hepatitis, how lobotomy is performed. Um, <laughs> look, I, I can't tell you for sure that any of these things had any long-term impact on any of us. But I can tell you this, Tim, the kid that I knocked unconscious with a spark plug and who ran after an imaginary tire and got hit by a real car, he grew up to die of a heroin overdose. And his brother Mo, who got his ass whooped by a complete stranger, he died after he slapped his girlfriend and she stabbed him to death. And Fred, who spilled acid on himself and got a needle stuck in the corner of his eye, he was killed trying to rob a pawn shop. And the kid who tasted sperm, he lives.
me what you really like Baby, I can take my time We don't ever have to fight Just take it step by step I can see it in your eyes Cause they never tell me lies I can feel that body shake And the heat between your legs You've been scared of love And what it did to you You don't have to run Touch and it gets set you free We don't have to rush when you're alone with me Welcome back, Don here And that was The Weeknd featuring Daft Punk playing behind me Good jams, aren't they? Every time that I listen to Ray Christian's story or any of Ray's stories, he's just such a phenomenal storyteller. But the idea of like his childlike wonder playing with condoms and the semen, I, ooh, anybody else just got a feeling in their mouth like, damn, Ray, this is taking it a level too far. But you know, that's Ray. He's going to make you feel things. He's going to make you see things. He's going to make you understand his black experience that's just the way he is and y'all if, if you haven't seen or heard ray's other stories you definitely got to check him out he's hosting an incredible podcast what's ray saying what's he saying i don't know you gotta go check out the podcast but on his show he's sharing all kinds of true stories in the context of the history of black america so if you love this story go check out that one you can find him at drraychristian.com but our favorite place to find ray is actually on the risk podcast fan discussion group on facebook ray be asking all kinds of questions about sex about terminology i think that he just feels very free on the risk podcast fan page on facebook so you know why don't you go join him over there and join the rest of us too? Uh, you could ask your probing sex condom needle throwing questions and there is no type of shame, no shame whatsoever. Because, you know, it's so funny that Ray was talking about his own type of child's play. It reminded me actually of a story I shared on one of the first episodes of Risk. I had my own little version of child's playing with a hamster yes i know what you're thinking i was not fondling i was not doing anything to the hamster i was just babysitting this hamster and for that matter it was a very bougie bougie hamster okay this hamster was my best friend uh doreen's and it came straight up with like organic bedding and like strawberry drops for its water. And I was supposed to be watching this bad boy for like two weeks while my best friend was running around China. And while I'm watching this hamster, I'm deciding that, you know, like I'm gonna have a little bit of fun with it. I wanna, I wanna show my, my, my friend in China like what exactly I'm doing and how we're hanging out. So I'm sending pictures with me and Walnut the hamster, drinking vodka, smoking a joint you know, doing the things that we do in Brooklyn in the winter, you know, wearing Santa Claus's hats and saying, ho, ho, ho. And I'm sending these off and I'm just like laughing and cracking up to myself because that's the kind of person that I am. Lo and behold, after I'm done with these pictures, I put Walnut on my desk. I turn around and I'm drinking some of my vodka and I look back on the desk. Walnut is straight gone, yo, gone. 
the hamster jumped or it committed suicide. I don't know what happened, yo. I don't know what happened. But long story short, this hamster was convulsing on the floor of my study. And me not knowing what to do uh, when you have a convulsing animal in your house that is now bleeding, I go to call 911. Now, calling 911 is obviously a last resort it should be a last resort and i realize this as i'm actually about to speak to the operator and i'm I'm listening to myself back in my head hello my name is dawn and i have a dead hamster that's convulsing can you please help me it's not gonna work so instead i hang up the phone rather quickly i find a verizon wireless box that i had just gotten a new phone this was the holidays after all you know i put this hamster in this box and i didn't know what to do with it uh, so I, I left the house and I went out to dinner and I was asking my friends and this shows you the type of friends I have because one friend was like oh Dom like you know you should burn sage and let its soul go up to the heavens and I was like that's that's not gonna that's not gonna help me do I actually tell my friend that this hamster is dead like what do I do people what do I do um, one person another friend told me to put the hamster into the freezer and just deep freeze the hamster so that they can give it a proper burial when it came back home um which was like a a decent option but i was just frustrated i was tired i didn't know what to do i couldn't believe that this happened i couldn't believe that i sent these pictures of this hamster drinking vodka supposedly and and then so i'm crying and i call up my mom and i tell my mom this entire story and she's like donnie you mean you called me to tell me that you're crying over a dead hamster? You're crying over a dead hamster. I was like, well, mom, it's not just any dead hamster. This is Doreen's hamster. She's like, don't just take the hamster and throw it away now. Throw it away. I was like, I, I can't just throw away. I just can't throw away hamster, mom. That's, 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 that's evil. She's like, well, I don't know, no man. I was like, well, this, this, it was going nowhere. Nobody had any idea of what I should do with this hamster. Complete foul play going on here. So instead I take the Verizon wireless box and I run over to Fort Greene Park. Uh, shout out to Fort Greene Park in Brooklyn. Um, but going back to Ray's story, here I am, a black woman wearing a hoodie with a shovel, trying to dig up land in Brooklyn's park which is completely illegal i don't i don't know this at the time but i kind of do know it at the time and i'm just i'm just shoveling because i gotta get rid of this shit all of a sudden i see off in the background like a ranger like coming towards me i didn't realize that they actually had rangers in these stations and i i know i'm done for so i just i ditch the box like the hamster's dead it's gone i don't know what to do with it i'm sorry for green park but i gotta i'm gonna leave this bad boy here and i bust it i'm not trying to get my black ass caught by no ranger for trying to bury a dead ass hamster okay this is one of the stories that i first shared at, at risk essentially when i first told it i ended with my best friend Doreen coming back into the country not believing me when i told her that her hamster had committed suicide um now when i tell the story my best friend Doreen actually has a child. So I tell people that I may not have been great with hamsters, but I hope, God, please tell me I'm better with children. So that was that was my child lecture that I had with, uh, with, with Walnut and my own stories on the Risk podcast. But you know, it's all relative, my people. It's all relative, the things that we play with, the things that we do, just make sure that you know if you're gonna drink or eat a a balloon just just make sure it doesn't have any semen in it 
Okay, that's that's why that's why I only ask. Anyways, we got off track here, but before Ray's story, we actually heard from Sean Kennedy. And Sean's story, whew, like I mentioned, y'all, I, I would have been that inappropriate person just cackling. I, I would have just been that that nurse, like just, just hooting and hollering because that's just kind of the person I am. I, I feel like I'm not the only one out there. I, I know you. I see you. Don't try and play. Actually, you know, some of my favorite people are just the most inappropriate people. So if you found those moments from Sean's story funny, if you would have been laughing along with me and that nurse, hit us just up. I'd love to hear from you. Finally, our last story on this Best of Black Lives number seven episode comes to us from Jamie Brunson. Now, as I hinted at the very top of the show, this is a bit of a heavier story. If you have little ones around, you might want to tuck them into bed at this point in time because we do have some cases of extreme domestic violence. So please take care. Here's Jamie Brunson with a story she calls My Mama. Hey, y'all. Y'all feeling good tonight? All right. Okay, so like Kevin said, my name is Jamie. And... Um, my mom was this cross between a black Marilyn Monroe and Angela Davis. So if you can imagine this drop-dead gorgeous, voluptuous, light-skinned African-American woman with fire-red hair in the front row of a Malcolm X rally, okay? <laughs> Clenched fist in the air, shouting out black power movement slogans. That was my mom. Now my dad, he was this kind of tall, dark and handsome, kind of swarthy bad boy, shrouded in mystery. And I mean a lot of mystery, because to this day, I still don't know what he did for a living, okay? And he talked in parables like Jesus, but, but not really like Jesus, because he never answered your question, right? So I'd say, so dad, you know, I'm on my way to work. Uh, you on your way to work? And he'd say, Kiddo, where you going? I been. What the hell does that mean? Okay, I just don't get that. So, you know, they meet and I'm born. And I'm supposed to be named after my dad, James. And I'm really glad that didn't happen, right? Because, and don't laugh because I have an aunt whose name was Jimmy. And we called her Aunt Jimmy. She had hands the size of pie tins, okay? So you did not want to be Aunt, J Aunt James. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm born. And uh, when I was two years old, my dad murdered my mother. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she didn't die right away. She lingered for about 30 days as a paraplegic, and then she finally succumbed to pneumonia. Yeah, now I know it doesn't make any sense, right? But I was kind of mad with my mom because I'm thinking for 30 days, right? You're in the hospital, you didn't write me a note, didn't say, Jamie, this is what I'd want for you, this is the woman I want you to grow up to be, or even I love you, none of that. Now I know it's not logical because a paraplegic can't write, okay? But I was mad anyway. So my grandmother, her mom, and my uncle, they took me in and they raised me. And my uncle was actually there when my mom got killed. He used to always say that he wished it had been him and not her. 
And it was pretty sad because I saw my uncle lose his life inside a bottle of vodka bit by bit over the years. And we never talked about what happened to my mom in the house, kind of like if we didn't talk about it, then it didn't happen. And, and if we didn't talk about it, then it wasn't really eating us all up alive. But, you know, that kind of made me mad too, right? I was pretty angry at that age. And, you know, I'd punish them. Because see, by the time I was 12, I was cooking and cleaning the house. And make no mistake, she who runs the kitchen runs the world. Right on? So my uncle hated spaghetti. Okay, so guess what we had for dinner at least two nights every week? I'd be stirring the pot waiting for him to come home from work. He'd come bebopping in the house all happy and hungry and excited, and he'd be like, what's for dinner? And my head would spin around 360 degrees like the exorcist, and I'd say, spaghetti! <laughs> and he'd grunt and head to Burger King. I had power. But you know, I'm not evil. I just kind of felt like a tree without roots. You know, I didn't feel like I had any history. I didn't know what had happened. So when I was 20, I made a major decision. I was gonna find my dad, right? So I go to the Yellow Pages. And uh, I open it up, and lo and behold, there he is. In the Yellow Pages, phone number and address less than 20 miles away. So I call him on the phone. And I say, this is Barbara's daughter, and I'm coming to see you. And he goes, okay. So I get in my car, and I turn the key. And instantly, I transform into Cleopatra Jones. Do you know who Cleopatra Jones is? Right on! 1970s black exploitation movie star. Cleopatra Jones was a six foot four, beautiful black African woman who was a CIA agent doing battle against the man with psychedelic platform sneakers and an afro 24 inches that bopped up and down when she walked. Okay, Cleopatra was bad. And she drove a stingray. And in the door panels on either side, she had an arsenal of weapons. And Cleopatra Jones in the 1970s had a car phone. Okay, it was the size of a tire, but it was a car phone. So Cleopatra Jamie Jones is driving her Nissan Stingray with a water pistol in the glove compartment on my way to see my dad. So he must have been kind of scared that I was gonna spray the room with bullets because when I got in the house, there were 30 people there. So I'm thinking, what would Cleopatra Jones do? So I'm hobnobbing with the crowd. I'm smiling, I'm checking everything out, right? And eventually the crowd thins, and it's just me and him. And I do my Cleopatra stance and I say, I came here to find out why you killed my mother. And he said, it wasn't me. What do you mean it wasn't me? You know, I'm ready. I'm going to get the water pistol now. It wasn't you, what do you mean? And he says, I turn around to go and he says, I would have never killed your mother. I loved her. And I would have never taken your mother from you. He's got me now. So he con continues to tell me this story of espionage and intrigue. That my mother was in fact a femme fatale embroiled in a conspiracy. And he didn't kill her in fact. It was a police officer that killed her, the pigs. 
And that when she lay dying, he held her in his arms and she looked up at him with her last word and she said, Oh God, I love you, Jimmy. Jimmy? That's what the hell you said? That was your last word, Jimmy? And I'm mad again. But he's the only person talking to me about my mom, you know, telling me about her smile and how she looked. So I'm holding on to him. And one day he calls me on the phone and he says, you know, Jamie, I never did anything for you as a kid. So I want to do something for you. Okay, Dad, cool, great. He says, I'm going to take out a life insurance policy and I'm going to make you a beneficiary. Somebody here knows where I'm going. I said, good looking out, Dad. Right on. He says, it only costs $800 down. Well, Dad, $800, you know, I'm working full time, I'm in school. $800 for security. A person needs security. Well, you know, Dad, $800. You need that security, it's the only thing I can do for you. Okay, Dad, here's the $800. Here it is. Right, good looking out. Yeah, okay, Dad. That was the last time I ever saw my father. So I decided, well, maybe he wasn't telling me the truth. So I'm going to go to the quarter-quarter sessions, and I'm going to look up my mom's murder trial, and I'm going to find out what really happened. So I go over there, and they tell me, you've got to look it up by the name of the person, not the victim, but the criminal. So I go in. I'm expecting to get a file of one murder case. Well, honey, his file was about six inches thick. This man, this bad boy was really a bad boy. He had convictions in multiple states. I mean, he was an entrepreneurial criminal. He was all over the place. Years even before I was born. <sighs> anyway, and he wasn't a Robin Hood, rob the rich to give to the poor kind of criminal. He was kind of the kind that made terrorist threats to little old ladies criminal. I couldn't even be proud of that. So I, find, I finally find the transcripts of my mom's trial. And I find my uncle's testimony. Remember I said he was there when my mom got killed? And so I read the testimony and my dad kind of got it wrong. Here's what really happened. My dad knocked on the door. My mom opened the door. He shot her in the throat. My mom fell forward. He stepped over my mother and started shooting into the house at everyone in there, not knowing whether I was in there or not. And then he ran and left her lying in a pool of her own blood on her front stoop. But here's where it gets interesting. My uncle came out and picked my mother up, laying in her blood, and my mother looked up at my uncle, and she did not say, oh my God, I love you, Jimmy. What she said was, oh my God, I love you, Jamie. And there it was in black and white. My mother crossed time and space to let me know that I was her number one and that she was thinking about me and nobody else. And guess what? Tonight in front of all you beautiful people, I can say, Mommy, I love you back. Thank you. Fire.
This is Risk. This is Dawn. And this is Janelle Monet behind me. We just heard from Jamie Brunson. Jamie's story, man, I told you that this was going to be a deep one. And you know, I feel it. I'm feeling it as a sister, as not yet a mama, but just as a sister to the Black experience. I, I feel you, Jamie. Jamie's story was titled My Mama. And whenever I think about the love of a mother, the love that transformed the lives of so many people to end on, it wasn't, I love you, Jimmy. I love you, Jamie. Just brought such a warm feeling to my heart to know that in her dying moments, that she was gonna be let known that she heard her daughter. And when I think about the black experience and I think about all the mamas out there, I just gotta give a shout out to black moms. I mean, because they be doing the most. They be disciplining us like no other. They be looking out for us like no other. I mean, you all heard Ray's story, right? Mm-hmm. I know you did. So listening, like just, if you're listening to this, if your mama's alive, give her a hug, give her a squeeze, give her a call, because you never know, you never know when you just gonna need your mama. Jamie's told the story back in Risk in 2012 as part of the First Person Arts Festival in Philly. Jamie's the executive director of First Person Arts and the producer of its annual festival. So if you liked her story, if you're in Philly, if you just wanna be part of this community and check out some more stories, definitely check them out, check her out. They're at firstpersonarts.org. And now that we're talking about the best of black lives, and the best of the black experience. We wanna make sure that anything, anything that comes to your heart, to your mind, to your soul, that you wanna be able to pitch to the show, we got you. Check us out at risk-show.com slash submissions. And if you wanna check out anything that your sister has going on over here on the West Coast, I highly recommend that you find me over at the Stanford Storytelling Project, where we're gonna be producing all kinds of different shows, storytelling shows, audio projects. Oh, it's gonna be on and popping. And also, coincidentally, I'm hosting a show called First Person. No, not the First Person Arts Festival that we just heard from in Jamie, but another first person in Berkeley. All these first people all around the world. You know what, it doesn't matter. Come check out your local storytelling shows. Today's the day, ladies and gentlemen. Take a risk. Love.